Hello, Pod Pals. Welcome to another episode of Best Girl Grip. I'm your host, Nicole Davis, and this is the podcast that navigates the film industry through the lens of the women doing just that. This is the 12th episode I've released since the pandemic, and I've decided to take a little break after this one to recharge. It might be the odd bonus episode, but I expect I'll come back in September or October with a brand new season. I'm rather excited and a little bit trepidatious to release this episode um, because it was recorded live at the Water Sprite Film Festival in Cambridge back in March, and so it feels rather antiquated. There were people there. Georgia and I sat face to face. We, we mentioned South by Southwest being cancelled, which Georgia was due to attend with a pilot she directed called Board. Uh, so listening back to this was odd. I felt, um, I felt a bit like a time capsule. Uh, but the conversation is still great and Georgia is wonderful, so I am, of course, very happy to have spoken with her and to do so for Water Sprite. Georgia is a writer and director with a raft of award-winning short films under her belt, including Little Bird, which is being adapted into an eight-part drama with Riverstone Pictures. Her first feature, Blue Jean, was developed through iFeatures, I think in 2018, and is now backed by BBC Films. Other upcoming projects include The Isles, a feature film in development with Creative Scotland, and The State of Us, a six-part series in development with Origin Pictures. I particularly love this conversation because it feels rare to me that you that you hear a director speak prior to their first feature being made or released, because obviously all the PR is done after the fact. And so it felt special to me to get a bit more of an insight into what that interim bit entails. And truth be told, it's not really an interim. It's Georgia's career, um, which is which is this kind of continuous thing. And one of the things she happens to be working on next is a feature film. And George mentions this later on about not ever getting complacent or thinking that one film is going to elevate you to permanence in the film industry. It's all about persistence. Um, so I guess my point is that I, I just I like the idea of divorcing, um, you know, the first feature from the sense of having made it. You know, you've you've already made it and you're always making it, I guess. We also chat about staying motivated during development, balancing lots of different ideas, how she stays uh, creatively energised, being mentored by Desiree Akavan and the invaluable advice she gave, and the collective she's part of called Sisters. I hope you enjoy our conversation. This is episode 62 of Best Girl Grip. official job in film was driving vans um, as a runner for a commercials company. The job that I had before that was running for un- unpaid for a short film, and I think I met someone during that experience, which wasn't a great one. I remember being sent to go pick up the lunch for this short film, and the catering place had nowhere to park, and then I got a parking ticket, and I wasn't being paid, and then I picked up the food, and I put it in the back of my car, and I drove over some speed bumps probably a little bit too quickly to get back to give everyone their lunch and when I opened my car boot it was just all the lunch was all over the back of the back seat of my car um and so the production had to pay for my parking ticket and um my car to get cleaned and anyway after that experience when I don't think I lasted more than a day um I met someone who told me that I could do that exact same job but I could be paid for it on on um commercials he was working for a production company and I couldn't believe that people were 
being paid £100 a day to, to do that job. And I'd never driven a van before, but I lied and said I had. And uh, that was that, really. And, I did, and that was sort of while I was trying to get my first short film off the ground just after I left university. So I, I used it as a way to um, kind of finance the process of writing a film, which obviously I wasn't being paid for. So was it at university that you had the aha moment that you wanted to be a filmmaker, or did that happen previously? That actually happened when I was about 17. I'd had no interaction with anything um, to do with films before that and wasn't into performing at all, didn't like talking in front of people or acting or anything like that. And then one day, um, a casting director came to the school that I was at. Crazy kind of lucky experience because of what happened after that but basically I, I wasn't interested in auditioning for this film but a series of things happened which ended up my friend kind of dragged me into the room basically and was like you should audition for this thing and I didn't end up getting the part but they did they did offer me two weeks as a jumped up extra essentially like not quite an extra but basically an extra on this film and it was a big sort of working title style my working title actually produced it, not working title style, <laughs> uh, film. And so I spent two weeks on that in Shepparton Studios, and it was, you know, massive. We had, we had rehearsals, we had there were all these big... Kira Knightley was in it, and because of that, I got to see all the different jobs that went into making a film, and that was definitely the aha moment, because although I ha felt this kind of strong pull towards directing from that moment onwards... It was also just being around everybody else on that, seeing everyone working as a team and seeing how... That was the bit that excited me, was the collaboration, I think, and knowing that at that point I felt like it didn't matter what I did, I wanted to be a part of it, and it could be costume, or it could be production design, I didn't know, but I knew that it had to be film at that point. And I, it kind of derailed my entire life at that point because I had made certain decisions. I was meant to be going to a certain university to study something and then I that happened and I completely changed everything that I'd planned to do up to that point and decided to go a different way and to study English which I thought would be helpful because I wanted to write and I at, at university I directed plays because there wasn't really a film department but I thought this is some, a, a way that I can find to kind of work with actors and begin to figure out what this thing of directing is. And in my university holidays, I was doing, I was helping on lots of different types of film projects, anything I could get my hands on. So if it was in the costume department or if it was in, um, I worked for a producer for a bit. I did loads of different things. I didn't really care what it was. I just wanted to get my hands on it. And, uh, and yeah, I directed theatre every year at university to kind of get that ball rolling. I've heard that a couple of times, actually, that people have started out in theatre. Did you feel like mm. it gave you quite a good foundation for directing films later on? Yes, definitely in terms of working with actors, because that level sort of student um, theatre productions, you know, it's not... If you were, make, if you were directing theatre at the National, that, you know, there would be, it would be much more collaborative than what I was doing, but what I was doing is... Both the plays I directed as well had four-person casts, so it was very intimate and they would come, the actors would come to my house, I think, my flat, and we would rehearse every day for an hour. And so it, I guess that process, for me, it wasn't, um, it was really just about learning ways to, to um, 
communicate my ideas with actors and, and try things and fail. Um, and towards the end, I got a bit frustrated. I remember the last one that I did, I made a film which we projected at the end of the play. And it was sort of, the play ended and then it was like, and then this. It was like my sort of imaginary version of what might have happened to the characters. And I think that was very obviously the moment where I was kind of wanting to move off the stage and into film. Um, and it was just before I left. And so. And what was your first uh, project as a director? And how did you get that short film off the ground? And crucially, how did you get it funded? Um, so the guy who told me about the van driving job was a producer and he was a, f- a friend of a friend and he said that he would help me if, if, if he liked something that I, you know, if I wrote a script and he liked it, he, he would produce it. So I kind of got to work writing something and together we just put everything into it really over the course of a year and he helped develop the script with me and then we did a crowdfunding campaign which at the time was really um, I don't think anyone knew, I don't think it was Kickstarter I don't think anyone really knew what crowdfunding was at that time but um, we raised I think about £3,000, £4,000 and it was it was amazing really the production was all of our friends brought together, dragging people into roles that they'd never done before we just kind of you're at that stage where you just need what well, I felt like I just needed to make something and I, and I was so full of enthusiasm about it that um, it felt quite easy to kind of gather my friends and the crew obviously wasn't massive <laughs> and it wasn't an enormous production but we shot over I think three days and it was set where I grew up so it was somewhere I knew really well and it was an amazing experience it, we shot it in April and I remember it was meant to be very kind of wintry in the story and that was sort of part of it and then there was this crazy heat wave and uh, some of the actors got heat stroke and there were a lot of crazy things that happened that were unforeseen yeah it was a I think it was the first week of April and it was so hot it wasn't great good preparation though because weather often you know comes into play when you're directing um you also work uh on commercials as well as on narrative work and i'm wondering you know is that to do with employability reasons or do they serve different creative impulses you know why do you work in that way with most things it's they seem it seems to be more accidental i think i started working for a commercial so the van driving company then, uh, after I made my I first short... I can see a yeah. <laughs> they, I ended up working for them. Around about... The, when, when I was making that first short film, I needed a, a, a more stable job, and they offered me a job as a... What was I? I was a creative, creative assistant, I think, to start with. I, I was helping out the creative director, and they made commercials, or, or m- more accurately, I'd say, like, sort of branded content. It wasn't, wasn't big Nike ads. It was small-time kind of uh, branded content. And, yeah, I joined that team knowing absolutely nothing about commercials, um, but I, he wanted someone who could write for him, write up ideas, throw, you know, someone to bounce ideas around with. And eventually I graduated to directing small, often, like, my boss at one point shot a, a Pepsi commercial and there was the sort of um, B-roll stuff that he needed shooting with these famous footballers and needed to ask them some questions on a green screen. It was very kind of simple stuff. But he would ask me to direct those, those little side bits for him. And then 
and then that kind of grew a little bit. So yeah, it sort of came about accidentally, and then I left that company when my short started taking up more time, and I wasn't able to fit everything into my life, and I had to go freelance. But um, I quit, I've continued working in commercials because, I mean, most the, the last thing that I shot that was branded was for a charity, and that's the branded work that I do is is often it's the same as all of the other work that I do. It's not I, I take on a project because. I really care about what it's saying and um, I haven't been able to do so much commercial work in the last two years because I've been writing my feature but the stuff that comes my way or the stuff that I sort of ask my agents to send my way is usually female-centric. It's usually trying to say something that hasn't been said before in that part of advertising space. So, yeah, it's I don't really see it as two separate entities, really. It's just project by project if something comes my way and it's branded but it says the things that I would like to be or it allows me to explore something or the biggest thing actually is to be able to be on set when you're in development you often go a long time without being on set working with a DOP working with a crew editing all of it it's you get a little bit where you feel like you might be a little rusty so it's great to work across both because it means that occasionally you can say okay I'm going to spend a month six weeks off my feature or off whatever projects you're developing and make something with casting and all the different elements that make up a production, but in a really short space of time, something that's 30 seconds or something that's a minute long. Um, and that's, yeah, those are the reasons I do it, really not just sort of happen like that. And let's talk about going freelance. Mm-hmm. Did that feel like quite a risky uh, move or a big leap? And how did you deal with that experience? It did, it did feel risky. I think, yeah, I actually didn't have a choice. I always remember it like I had a choice and that the shorts were getting, you know, building in momentum. And I, but then I actually got made redundant from that company. Half the people in the company were made redundant on one day. And I remember it really well because I just signed a lease on a new flat and I was like, ah, what am I going to do? <laughs> this is awful. Uh, but I was also grateful because I knew that if I hadn't been given that push there's a chance I could have been there for three more years because, you know, I I needed that stability in a way. But I was lucky that I'd been... The company I worked for represented a lot of directors and a lot of them were slightly older, slightly less techie in terms of putting together mood boards on software on their computers. And so I would help them with that. And it wasn't really even a part of my job, I don't think, but it started becoming a part of my job. And when when I was made redundant, I... around about that time I'd realised that people did that designing treatments for other directors in commercials and that you could do that as your day job freelance and kind of do a couple of days here and a couple of days there and um and so I started doing that and that's I still do that occasionally not as much as I was doing before but it's a great I mean it's I'm really fortunate in that I have that job that is always available and that I can work with directors it's it's great for kind of flexing a bit of a creative um muscle and it means that when I've had to do treatments for myself for commercials or for features I find it really easy because I spent a lot of time finding images and uh designing those kinds of documents so yeah I I feel really lucky that I had that because I know a lot of people struggle in the move to features where they don't have something that they can do part-time but this is really part-time so it it works 
And speaking of the move to features, you're currently in prep on your first feature, Blue Jean. Um, and have, do you feel like your, your work on short films, adding commercials, has kind of stood you in good stead? Do you feel ready to take that leap now? Yeah, I definitely feel ready. I mean, I think my last short film had a much bigger budget than that first film. And it sort of felt like we were shooting a couple of scenes from a feature. And I think after that, and we had... Imelda Staunton in it and so working with an actor of that sort of level was a massive step up and I felt at that point and then we had a few I don't know it was just everything about it was kind of bigger and after that I felt ready to take on something longer I think you always feel after I felt after most of the shorts that I did okay like maybe I'll be ready to do a feature but I think the biggest thing was really just like finding my Voice in terms of what I wanted to do, what I wanted to say, and what kinds of projects I wanted to. Because after the first couple of shorts, I think I was quite lost in that that realm. I was sort of wondering what I wanted to say, and it was only through doing, I don't know how many short films I made, four, definitely four, maybe five. I'm not sure. Um, but through doing that, now it seems so clear to me what what I want to do, and every project that I'm working on has a very clear thread to that so yeah I'd say that's that's why I feel ready and how are you prepping for that what are you doing at the moment to kind of ready yourself are you in pre-production you know do you have shooting dates locked in um we we have a sort of vague schedule we're not in pre-production we haven't been greenlit yet but we have the BBC BBC films are on board and they have agreed to they've committed to sort of partially financing the film and we're just in the process of doing an application to the BFI for the rest of the finance so no we're not in pre-production and we're not sort of I don't know exactly when we're going to be doing all of it but um I'm so I'm still I just handed in a draft of the script last week so and had a meeting with the BBC about it so we're still in development but we're at the stage where we're moving we with the last draft we had to submit heads of department that we might want to work with running through those with the BBC and seeing who they thought was a good idea or or not and so we're definitely kind of transitioning from a more development space to towards we're in sort of pre pre prep if that's thing and let's talk about development because Mm. that's something that is often quite shrouded in mystery and it's quite a liminal period of time in a film's Mm. journey so how do you stay motivated you know is it about yeah turning in lots of different drafts um can that be quite frustrating for you I always feel like I I wouldn't take on a project where I didn't people talk about getting stuck in development and I know that is a thing and it would be very frustrating I haven't experienced that yeah, touch wood. Um, but I'm sure that would be very frustrating. But I sort of also feel very strongly that I wouldn't take on a project that I didn't mind being stuck in development on for a while, at least because the development part of it for me is not... To me, it doesn't feel like everything is sort of gearing up to making a film. It feels all as important as each part feels as important as the next part and for instance the trip uh, for for the one of the films in developing the Isles, we just did creative scotland are financing the development of that and they just allowed us to kind of go on a trip to the islands where the film is set and meet with the refugees that the story is about and all of that is so much a part of I mean, it's, it's, that's what gets me up in the morning. So I don't, I don't find development kind of 
stagnant because there's always something you're always working towards I don't know the next draft or the next research trip or the next or putting together lists of ideal cast I don't know yeah it's not I haven't got to a stage yet where I feel like it's sort of hard to stay motivated Um, and I think that's down to the fact that the projects I'm working on I've chosen to make films where there's usually a kind of Trojan horse issue that we're talking about and that issue needs to be something that I could talk about for years and know that I'm not going to be bored of talking about in five years and so far and if it's not then you might find out two years down the line that it's not the right project and you might have to step off it and that does happen and that has happened to me but if it's the right project you're just never going to want to stop talking about it I don't I mean that's the aim anyway so and is that just about trusting your instinct and if so how did you learn how to do that yeah I think that is about trust I don't know I think it's just trial and error because I have worked on projects where I haven't I've found two years on that I've been screening the film and I've had to go to a film festival and do a QA and a and I found my I found the whole experience quite disingenuous because to and, and that's not always wrong because the reason that you took on that project two years ago or three years ago might have been you know you, your feelings might have maybe changed over time and that happens but I don't know as I get older I feel like these these sort of larger issues if the film is kind of grounded in reality and and but has these larger issues that are being woven into the sort of subtext of that story, then those things, I mean, largely they're the things that I was interested in 10 years ago and I imagine I'll be interested in in 10 years' time. So, yeah, it is a lot about instinct. I think all of it is a lot about instinct, learning to trust your gut and not, you know, with shorts I found it complicated because I felt like I was looking around at people same age as me or similar level to me and what films were they making and why were they succeeding or you know what how did that person get into that film festival when my you know and then you start thinking okay well what should I be making what do people want me to be making and that was where I just felt that it was a black hole and as soon as I got out of that and was like no 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 what do I want to do what do I want to say and completely forgot about all of that like expectation or how was I going to get from here to here to here, then things started to really free flow. And now I feel really comfortable with... um, I don't have really any anxiety about running out of ideas or anything because it it feels like it's such an organic thing. It's Mm -hmm. just if there aren't ideas for for a section of time or something, you know, you just need to be opening yourself up for more experiences, life experiences, reading more, things like that. I don't, you know... it's, it feels much more, all much more natural now. Um, um, that's exciting that you feel like you're not going to run out of ideas. I'm yeah. wondering where they come from and where and at what stage do you commit that to the page? You know, at what stage are you starting to write that idea? Again, it really depends. I mean, the ideas, where do they come from? Um, I, I was thinking about this, and I think most of the projects I'm working on at the moment are based on a true story or have some element of to varying degrees it's sort of very broad that based on a true story but for instance Blue Jean that I've been writing for the last two years it's about a PE teacher in the 80s uh, working the year that section 28 was brought in by Thatcher's government and that started by me finding a newspaper cutting about a group of lesbians who had abseiled from the public gallery of the House of Lords into 
the chamber as this debate was happening, demanding rights for lesbian and gay people. And I, I read this article, and I, obviously I was, admit, I was like, that's a film. I've got to make a film about these women. <laughs> and they had washing line wrapped around, and they jumped over the top and were screaming. And then they were interviewed outside, and they looked so radical and cool. And I was like, that's, I've got to make a film about that. But then what happened was I also didn't know, this is two and a half years ago, I didn't know what Section 28 was. It's like, why don't I know what that is? It was a law the whole time that I was at school. It was a law until 2003. So I started looking into it, and I just couldn't stop. I was just, like, obsessively reading about it. And it just so happened that that week I was going in to meet BBC Films for a general meeting. I wasn't planning on pitching them anything, really. I pitched them, actually, the Scottish film that I told you about. And they sort of did that thing that people do in meetings where they say, OK, yeah, yeah, anything else? Anything else? And you're like damn it, you know, what, what else could I say? And so I said, well, I've been thinking about Section 28, and I didn't really have a concrete idea at that point, but I knew that I'd like to make a film about Section 28, and I knew that because of my own sensibility as a filmmaker that it wouldn't probably be about these women that threw themselves off the public gallery, um, and that it would probably be about the life of one woman and what she had to go through as a result of Section 28. So I may, maybe I pitched them that, but it was really one line, and I, and I couldn't develop it more than that because I hadn't thought about it. And they just said, that that's your film. And so I was like, well, if they think it's my film, maybe it's my film. And then I had to go away and write something. for In two weeks, I remember it so well, I had two weeks, and I had to get this one line to a five-page beginning, middle, and end story for the iFeatures application, which was pretty stressful. But what were we talking about? Where ideas come from? Yeah, well, oh, so when I had the one-line idea, it led me through loads of different bits of research to a sort of series of interviews with lesbian PE teachers who'd been working in the early 90s after Section 28 was brought in. And those true stories were just fascinating. And they were women based all over the country. They had different stories, but there was this kind of common thread, which was that these women were living double lives and that the consequence of that on their personal relationships and their ability to actually teach, all of it just sort of crumbled. Lots of them started reporting mental health problems, this kind of thing. So my story is a fictional story and Jean the character is totally made up but the story is very much grounded in the stories of those women and after finding that that series of interviews we went and met some of those women and then we met some of their friends who were also PE teachers at the time and so I felt like I had all of this sort of rich material around me and then from that I could kind of jump off into the unknown which was that you know the story that we now have which is not any one version of events that we were told um and that seems to be what's happening on a lot of my projects there'll be a kind of kernel of a true story that just gets lodged in my mind um either I'll look I'd be looking for it like I was with that I was really looking for something that I could hang the story off but sometimes it's just a story someone tells you in the pub or whatever and from that I kind of let my imagination do the rest, I guess. And you're doing series as well, so I'm wondering, is that quite an immediate reaction where you're like, yeah, this is like long form, or yeah, this is a feature, or does that sometimes change as you're starting to flesh out the idea? Totally changes. I mean, I pitched someone something 
the other day and I was so convinced that it was a feature film and they told me it was a TV show and I was like, mm. anyway, I d- yeah, it's, it's, that's based on a lot of different things but the two shows that I'm developing, one is an adaptation of Little Bird which was a short film that I made and that was, how did that come about? But a company that we really wanted to work with saw the short film and we said we had an idea to adapt it into a TV show and they kind of came on board. I mean, I don't, we were all just pinching ourselves. We didn't know. It was before we'd premiered that short film at Tribeca and we had no idea that it would go on to be anything more than that. So that was, that was great. And I guess because it, it's set in, in the, war, the Second World War and it's about a group of women, it was such a big story that it felt like we, it had to be TV. I don't know. TV is obviously such a evolving exciting space now and uh yeah we just felt like there would be more scope to do what we wanted to do in tv and then the other project that i'm doing with origin that you mentioned the state of us that's that was a short film essentially and uh, initially and lots of people read it and said we'd like to see more of those characters you know Mm. lots of people who'd read it were like look we'd like to see we'd like to see this made but we'd also like to see where these women go and so we ended up pitching it to origin as a tv show and now it's six episodes but yeah it's sort of i think sometimes with tv it's like when you find an amazing story or at least in my experience but it you can't put like 90 minutes is you know nothing really and particularly with my sort of style of film making i think it's i don't know if if the story is too big you don't want to be like squashing it into mm. 90 minutes and all these different stories sound you know they're different genres perhaps different uh, periods in history and when you've got all these projects on the go at once how are you prioritizing your time you know you're having to spend time researching or doing interviews does that sometimes you know feel like a lot or are you finding that it, it works out okay I think it's just that one foot in front of the other thing because uh, if you step out then you you slightly lose your head but no I I, I think there's always I guess it's a bit like if you have children, you know, like if you have a baby, that baby's going to demand like a lot of your attention. The other kids are no less important. It's kind of, you have to just, there's always one project that takes most of your energy at any one time because of the stage that it's at. So for me, that's Blue Jean at the moment because we're moving towards making it and it will be my first feature. So all of those things combined, it's kind of a big thing and also I'm writing it not all of the projects that I'm working on I'm writing so it it has taken up so much more of my time whereas the Scottish film I work incredibly closely with the writer but and we go and we do the research together and we interviewed all those people together and we you know not a beat of that story changes without us discussing it but I'm not the one who has to sit at a desk and write the treatment or write the script so I it takes up less of my less of my time because um, it's it just does, and so it, it's just this kind of constant. Everything's moving like this, and I, occasionally you have your moment where you think, okay, I have something's got to go because there's too much happening, and if you can't give enough attention to anything to to any one project, then it's not worth it. You don't want to be in a position where you're wasting people's time, and and, and everything moves at different speeds, so it, it's. It's impossible to know, you know, I don't, you just have to kind of put your head down and keep going, I think. Um, and you're represented by independent talent who uh, support Water Sprite. Um, at what stage did they start representing you and what's that relationship been like? 
Yeah, I've been with my agent now for, I think it must be seven years or something. So I made that first short film uh, with all my friends and I sent it. I, I can't remember exactly what happened because it was so long ago, but I, I think I know that my now agent watched it and, he, and we met and he said he was an agent's assistant at the time and he was assisting the two top agents at Independent who kind of, I think, started Independent. And he said, I'm about to be putting together my own roster and I love your work. And I remember he gave me a DVD of other women's short films that were amazing. And he was like, I feel like your sensibility is a little bit like this. And I was like, yes, you really kind of see what I um, am trying to do. And he was like, look, I can't, I don't, I can't rep represent anyone yet because I haven't actually got there yet but I let's keep in touch and and then um when I made my next short film I I invited him to the screening and I remember he said I hope you're talking to other you know you should really be talking to other people getting to getting to hear what um what other companies have to offer and I remember being like oh okay I I haven't but I but I will and so I sent some emails to other people in his position that were junior agents or agents' assistants who might be putting together their own roster of directors and very hurriedly said, please, can you come to my screening? But really, I, I had kind of made up my mind that if Ollie wanted to re represent me, then I wanted to be with, with him. And he came to the screening and signed me after that, I think that night at the screening. Um, but obviously, at that point our relationship was very different to what it is now because what he could have... I remember for years thinking, you know, wondering about all of that because it's not... When you're starting out and you're only making shorts, there's not all too much an agent can actually do for you because you have to be making opportunities yourself. And now it's completely different. And there's a lot of stuff that Ollie does on a day-to-day -day basis and he really helps me out with a lot with everything but at that time there wasn't really much that he could do I had to just keep plugging basically and you, you do it all yourself for people often ask that question about agents and I think really unless you kind of don't need an agent until someone asks if someone asks to represent you because you've made something that has been screened somewhere and they've seen it and liked it and they want to sign you great but I wouldn't ever recommend spending time looking for an agent um, when you're first starting out just because it, I know right now it can be really tough to find an agent and it's probably better just to focus your energy on making things because that's what's going to get you the agent exactly yeah, yeah. and it's and it can be a bit of a dead end I remember at one point I was thinking about getting an agent in America for various reasons someone had contacted me about it and I spoke to my mentor on a scheme that I was on for BFI Flair. I was mentored by Desiree Akavan and she, I emailed her asking about this agent in America because she knew her and I was like, you know, is she so? and Desiree was just like make a body of work make a body of work, like just forget about the agent and I was like okay, okay, yeah, it's kind of, I live in London, why do I need an agent in LA when I'm not going to be there right now and so I, I think that's actually really good advice but did it feel like a shift for you semantically and that you were suddenly able to be like yeah I'm a filmmaker or were you already kind of like backing yourself in that way um, 
I think it probably did, yeah. It de- I think it felt it definitely felt really good to have Independent behind me. It was probably the only agency I'd heard of prior to thinking about getting an agent myself. So, yeah, it, it was important in that respect, but it also... I mean, I had that... I think the mistake you can make is by thinking, oh, I've got an agent, everything's going to be fine now, or, oh, I've made this short film and it's got into this festival, everything's going to be great. I remember telling my dad when I got into New York Film Festival, I was like... Dad, my film screening at New York Film Festival, you know, this is how many shorts were submitted and this is how many they're screening. And I, I really believe that that was it, you know, and that I was just going to get to make another thing and another thing. And then I realized that that never happens. That never happens. Even if you make an amazing feature film, no one is, your career is never, ever sorted. So I, it's good to celebrate those little things, but also it's important not to remember, to remember that none of them really mean that you're on track. Um, and you're also part of an amazing collective of female filmmakers called Cine Sisters. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm wondering, you know, why having that support is important, um, but also why having an all-female space is important to you. Oh, yeah, I can't speak more highly of Cine Sisters. I love it. I mean, they meet every month. I don't get to go every month, but it is, it's just sitting in a group of women who are all kind of... Often you might go and the topic of conversation is not something that's relevant to you at that time but it's just sitting in a room full of women who've gone through similar things to you or I've so much advice has come through there it's an amazing probably the best thing about it is that you if you ever have an issue with anything to do with making your film or tv show or whatever you know that you've got I think it's more than 100 women now in, in Sydney Sisters and you can contact them and ask them you know I see you've worked with this editor can you call me and tell me your, your experience and everybody helps everybody and in terms of it being an all-female space, I mean, it is harder to be a female filmmaker. Um, so the experiences that we can share in that space are um, kind of invaluable because the walls that come up, um, the, you know, the glass ceiling that we all are trying to kind of smash down, it feels there's a kind of commonality to, to everybody's stories and there's something very comforting about being in a room full of women who can help boost each other. Hello, it's Nicole. Excuse me for the brief interruption. This is the point in the recording where we handed out the microphone to the audience to see if they had any questions, and they did. So if you hear a voice that's not mine, that'll be why. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to ask what the iFeatures process has been like, because I know a bit about it, but what do they do and how does it support you? Um, Yeah, so iFeatures has changed slightly so so it used to be that 12 teams would be accepted onto i features and every few months they would kick people off a x factor style sort of competition and at the end three films would be greenlit and financed and made through bbc films bfi and creative england and that was how it was running for quite a few years every two years until the year that i applied which was 2018 I think and my year was the first year of it changing into a development lab so they realized that kicking people off was actually kind of killing filmmakers self-esteem and that a lot of those projects would actually go on to be made with bigger budgets and be really successful so but they'd lost the iFeature stamp so they changed it for all those reasons and when I did it it was uh, a year it's a year or just under a year, maybe nine months. And in that, those nine months, you have to make, you have to write three drafts of your film or thereabouts. 
and which is pretty intense considering you go from f a five-page idea to a treatment and then to a script and then you have to do three drafts and while you're doing those uh, while you're writing you get to go on these labs maybe yeah labs so every couple of months we'd go on mass all 12 12 or 16 12 12 groups so you producer and director and sometimes writer teams would go to Manchester, Liverpool, wherever they'd set that lab, um, and each one would have a different focus. So there was one on development, I guess, to, or maybe two on story, one on directing, one on film festivals and distribution, maybe. I can't remember exactly, but the, they create these labs that are really helpful, and they bring people to come talk to you that have either done eye features before or have made successful first features or just amazing writers who might be from Liverpool when we are in Liverpool or that kind of thing. Just Or Jonathan Glazer came to talk to us once. And, and it would also mean that often when you're working on a feature, your execs are kind of a little bit removed from the process and, and you have to kind of submit something to them and they reply and it's all a little bit distant. But when we were on these labs, the execs would come from the BFI and BBC and... Creative England, and that we'd all be there together, having lunch together, doing these, listening to these people talk together, and we'd be able to ask them questions the whole way through the process. So it just kind of meant that everything was a little bit more informal, which I think definitely helps the process. Thank you, and um, thank you for this event today. I actually have a question for Nicole. Um, I was just wondering. Um, how do you kind of find a niche in podcasting? Because, I mean, Georgie, you mentioned briefly how you did something for TV because TV's big. So when kind of a platform was particularly sort of appealing to lots of people, how do you, how did you come up with this, basically? I think, again, with you saying, like, being led by your interest, I was interested in lots of women that I just hadn't heard speak before. And I was like, well, why is that? Why isn't there that forum for them? So just kind of follow your nose in that regard and follow your curiosity, because if there's something that you're looking for that isn't out there, you know, the niche will come to you in that way. I'd like to know how you stay creatively energised. Ooh, how do I stay creatively energised? I guess by having a, by having a balance, by, by not um, trying to... Again, it's the same with, you know, how do you come up with ideas? It's like, if I ever try and sit at a desk and stare at a blank page and have an idea I'm never going to get anywhere and it's the same with being creatively energised I feel like I get energised from experiencing life not through sitting at my desk banging my head against a brick wall which is my my writing process is pretty um stressful I don't enjoy it all that much so it's not I I feel energised when I step away from that when I talk to other filmmakers maybe that I've met on some of the eye features labs or the the mentorship programs that I've done I've stayed in touch with those filmmakers we'll go to the pub and discuss our collective experiences of the same thing that's really that really kind of gives me a lot of confidence talking to, to just share it you know it's like group therapy whenever filmmakers get together because um but yeah otherwise just like trying to trying to remember that what I'm doing isn't, you know, even though it can feel all-consuming, it's not, like we were talking just before this started about South by Southwest being cancelled and it's really sad and I was meant to be going on Thursday, but in the grand scheme of things, you know, it's, it's a film festival, there'll be others, you know, trying to keep perspective on everything because it's easy to sort of fall into a trap of um, when you're working really hard on something and you've been working really hard on it for 12 years, 
it's easy to fall into a trap of thinking it's the most important thing, but I think it's all connected and being creatively energized comes from living life and having experiences that have nothing to do with what I'm trying to do and they all end up feeding into. So whenever I have a period of time where I feel like I'm not working as hard as I would like to be working, I always try and be kind to myself and remember that all of those experiences are inevitably going to feed into what I do next in a way that I won't even know as it's happening, but that has always happened. And finally, is there a film by a women filmmaker that you've seen recently that you think is an undervalued gem and you'd like to recommend? Uh, Certain Women by Kelly Reichardt. I don't know if it's undervalued. I think people generally love it, but I thought, yeah, I was thinking about it on the way here, and I think that one, because it's three, for anyone who hasn't seen it, it's three short stories, so it's kind of like a short film, three short films, and I love her as a filmmaker, and I think that the way that she approaches her subject matter and her characters is in some ways similar. I think she has similar motivations for making films as I do. And I love the way that her films kind of meditate on a theme and never quite kind of go where you would expect them to go or where a more sort of mainstream film might go. But it's all in the detail and it's all about kind of focusing on often one woman's day-to-day life and kind of making that personal aspect political and that's what I like to do. So yeah, I would recommend that for anyone who hasn't seen it. Um, Georgia, thank you so much for today. It's been brilliant, you've been brilliant. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming Um, and thank you to Water Sprite. for downloading this episode of Best Girl Grip. If you're a filmmaker gearing up to your first feature, I recommend listening to my interviews with Harry Woodliffe, Nicole Dorsey and Helen Simmons. All the episodes are available on iTunes, Spotify and Acast. In the meantime, have a great weekend and I'll be back at some point in the near future. <laughs>